Hello, welcome to Secondhand Stories. My name is Mark T. Cox. I am a performer, writer, storyteller and cabaret performer. Hi, I'm Helen Black. I'm also a performer. I'm an improviser and I'm a storyteller. And together we are running a show called Secondhand Stories. It's a live storytelling show. We started last year running shows, uh, physical shows across London in little cafes and small places around the city. Uh, We went on tour. We went to Edinburgh Fringe last summer. And now we have created this digital experience coming live into your ears (laughs) through podcast form. So Secondhand Stories, um, it's a true storytelling show. So the storytellers are telling stories about things that have actually happened to them in their own lives. And this is the sixth episode of our podcast. Every week we have a different theme and we'll have a little chat about the theme and then we'll each tell a story. This week's theme is restart. And maybe people are thinking about restarting their lives. Maybe this uh, time of the coronavirus crisis has made people think, oh, is am I doing what I want to do? Is there something different I'd like to do? Maybe people want to take their lives in a new direction. And I suppose this has made everybody uh, think about what are they doing with their lives? And is there anything that you would like to be doing differently? when you restart Mark no pressure now (laughs) on me my god but yeah you're right everyone has had a little bit of a kick in the face and had to reassess things Uh, we've had to stop which is um devastating but it's also given us all a minute to to think about Mm. I think I will learn to live my new life um with less money (laughs) definitely because I won't have any money because I have no job um and that is difficult but it's also kind of gives you an like reassessment of how much money you need and what you were wasting money on before um but probably most important is to try and make time for people and and mm. see people and do things just do things and and hang out and make connections with people because that's the one thing that we've been forced to to not do for the last few months yeah um we will see. And you, what do you think? Well, I think I absolutely agree about the the spending less money. I think that now thinking about how much money you're spending and how little money you're spending can just, you're like, do I need to spend as much money as I spend every month? Like doing things that maybe I don't want to do or I do want to do. <laughs> like I think that, and the waste is a big thing like how much money you're Mm -hmm. wasting doing things and commuting and things like that and also the I I guess for us like the the wasting food you know like um we've had to plan our meals a lot more it's not the most exciting thing but like we have to think (laughs) what are you having for lunch and dinner every day this week and do you have that in and I think that when we live in this kind of disposable society where you just you're like oh I'm not sure what we have in the fridge so I'm going to go to the shop and I think hopefully that might be a small thing that can come out of this and I'm aware like oh that is coming from a place of massive pr- privilege like oh that's <laughs> yeah yeah I think I'm going to change <laughs> so I'm going to but I think we have to learn something from all of this you know um 
like definitely and we can um we can plan a little bit better we can just um enjoy food a bit more as well i now realize how much i was just flying around and grabbing crappy sandwiches and spending six pounds on (laughs) things that i didn't even like you can take a bit more joy and Mm -hmm. and prepare things and buy things and and be less wasteful definitely it's a big yeah 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 and i think definitely what you said about just seeing friends and spending time with people and realizing you're actually not that busy like what are you busy doing really just go and see friends because you miss them (laughs) and it's nice to spend time with them yeah yeah, it's true and i think that i've noticed that you can survive on less money and maybe if you don't need as much money maybe in the future there's a way to work a bit less maybe we don't need to earn as much as we think because (laughs) don't need to spend as much as we think and then that might Mm. give you some more time and that's more for kind of freelance type work but there's yeah there's a reset there's a restart definitely coming Mm. fits perfectly to our theme today and we're restarting because we took took a week off this is our our reset (laughs) our restart here as well Sure. Yeah, my um, my boyfriend Andy is on his like conference calls in the sitting room, and we're both sharing the sitting room to work at the minute. And um, somebody from his office was saying um, because they were just talking in the in the conference call that I was part of, but not part of, um, <laughs> about like what changes people can make going forward. And there was a guy in the conference call that was like, "I can't believe I've been commuting in and out of London blindly." accepting that yeah. every day I get onto an absolutely rammed train and it's hell for an hour and then I come back and do the yeah. same. Like, I think that hopefully if anything comes out of this, then it's just causing people to rethink, like, why am I doing that? And is that a good mm-hmm. thing, you know? I'm doing that for 40 years, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, exactly. never questioning it. No, never exactly. question why your skin is ruined and why you're sick and... and miserable yeah, all the time yeah, yeah. new new ways uh, of living and have you a story about restarting I, re- I have rest- a little story for you yeah uh, should I tell it so my story starts a few years ago um I'd broken up with a boyfriend and I moved into a shared house in Dalston now if anybody doesn't know Dalston it's like quite a trendy part of London and I, the boyfriend that I'd been with was the reason that I moved to London in the first place. So moving out and into this shared house was like a whole new start for me. And it was the first time in my life I lived with strangers properly because um, I'd only lived with kind of my ex-boyfriend and friends before this point. And um, I got the room responding on to an ad on spareroom.com and I went to the house for a viewing. I spoke to two of the six housemates, six people that lived there and um, told them I needed to move somewhere as soon as possible and they kind of took pity on me and I moved in the next day. I didn't really know anything about living with strangers and it took me a while to kind of adjust to just being on my own and at the beginning I'd leave the house and take text to the WhatsApp group like going out for a few hours be back around 10 but like nobody would reply because nobody cared where I was or what time I'd be back like sometimes I'd be walking down the street and I'd be like nobody in the world knows where I am right now and I just had to get used to that. Um, 
So that took some adjusting. And there was a guy that lived in the house. There was three guys, but one of these guys, um, I feel like calling him good looking would be generous, but he was definitely confident. And I feel like confident could get a man quite far, especially, or can get a man quite far, but probably especially with me at that time. Um, I'd say we probably had only met maybe twice in the kitchen, but he'd been quite polite. He was the kind of guy who, like, he never had a stop on. He always seemed to be, like, ironing a shirt in the kitchen, but he never had a stop on for all of the time that he was ironing everything and he'd walk around the house with no shirt on he kind of had a receding hairline but he had quite a nice smile with like a little gap between his teeth um we'll call him ben so i was a teacher at the time and it was the summer holidays from school and i just found myself all of a sudden with absolutely no plans and no friends and nothing to do with um my time so most of the days I'd go to the park and I'd read on my own and I'd listen to my music on the way there I'd listen to um empowering music by female artists and I would think okay I'm gonna be fine I'm sunny weather you don't have no friends but it doesn't matter um I'm okay on my own I also kind of had discovered tinder and it was just kind of dipping my toe in the dating world and I'd pass my time swiping but then I'd freak out if I matched with someone or they messaged me then I'd delete the app and then I'd download it again and the cycle would repeat and then one of the days I was sitting in the park and I saw Ben approaching me and he said could he sit with me he asked could he sit with me and read his book and he offered me a can of beer and we got on quite well and we shared these four cans then we went to the shop and we got more and enjoyed his company Although, like, he was probably a bit cocky, but I was quite susceptible to that at the time. And I quite enjoyed flirting with him. I kind of enjoyed this, like, back and forth of, like, is this flirting? Is this not? Or are we just being friends? No, I think this is flirting. And I felt like, oh, is this what, like, being single is going to be like? I'm going to go to the park. I'm just going to start chatting to guys. I'm going to kiss all of them. And... I'm going to listen to strong, independent women. As you can imagine, one thing led to another. We end up kind of snogging in the park and just laughing, 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 laughing about how this was a terrible idea. And I thought that we were saying it was a terrible idea because we lived together. I was like, oh gosh, this is awful. We've just moved in together. What are we doing? And eventually we went back to the house. And when we got to the house, the other housemates were in the sitting room and we saw them so we kind of stopped doing whatever we were doing we sat with them for a while and then that night we went our separate ways and then we um after that kind of saw each other in the kitchen a couple of times over the next week or so and we flirted a bit but there was always like someone else there or some reason why it was this big secret which obviously was so exciting you know and when I'd come home I'd be like oh is Ben gonna be here like is oh are we gonna talk is he here is he in the house is he upstairs and I wonder is something more gonna happen and then one day probably a week or two after we kissed um I was tutoring and I could feel my phone in my pocket vibrating and you know I wouldn't look at my phone when I'm teaching a child play kind of pulled it out of my pocket and had a glance at it and there's three messages 
um, from a number I didn't know. And then two Facebook messages from Ben saying, please ignore those, call me when you can. And I was like, ignore what? Like, what are you trying? What are you telling me to ignore? So my heart was like racing, but I had to continue teaching the lesson. And after the lesson, I looked at my phone and I had messages from someone that I didn't know. Um, We'll call her Diamond. And Diamond had sent me a photograph that she had taken from her phone of Ben's phone. Ben had sent a message to his friend saying, yeah, I'm still with Diamond for now, but I'm going to shag the new housemate. And his friend had replied like, lol, what's she like? And Ben had replied, she's young, fit and vulnerable, just how I like them. So it turns out Ben had a girlfriend, Diamond, and Diamond was the kind of girlfriend who liked to read Ben's messages for whatever reason. Maybe she knew what Ben was like. I don't know. Anyway, Diamond had read his messages and seen that something had happened with me and him and decided that she should tell me what he'd been saying about me. So she took this photo off his phone and sent it to me and I just felt sick and I felt so stupid I just felt so naive I felt like for me this was this kind of fun flirtatious silly thing that didn't matter and he just thought I was this vulnerable silly little girl who'd moved into his house and that he was gonna shag and I just got the train home from tutoring I just felt so alone and on my own and stupid and uh, I was like oh this is not what I had imagined this would be like this new start to this new single life and I got into the house and one of the other girls was there and when I saw her I just burst into tears and I told her what happened and I told her I think Ben has to move out and she agreed and when we got home when he got home we spoke to her and he agreed that that was what was going to have to happen (sighs) which felt weird because he had been there for like a few years and I just moved in but I couldn't go on living there knowing that what he'd said about me and the way that he treated me and all the other housemates were actually very nice and they agreed with me and told him that he had to go so like in the end it wasn't the fresh start that I had anticipated but I think like I probably learned more about myself from that and maybe was more um, guarded the next time whether that was a good or bad thing Um, but like in the end I was proud that I stuck up for myself and that he moved out and that I didn't move out and that maybe in the end I wasn't as young and vulnerable as I'd first appeared Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god there's like there's like two restarts almost in there there was mm. the mm. the kind of expected one of this new life and excitement and how everything's going to be great and mm. then almost a, like it it changed then after that event which mm. is, is so so frustrating for someone to have the power to then make you change your mm. actions or your your thoughts 
Yeah. God, yeah. thank you. I'll clap. <laughs> but also a good point is that yeah. you did something about it. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think like just on reflection, I, I've kind of been able to take that from it, you know. Yeah, like I, I just felt really, I just felt so stupid, you know. And I think it's that kind of like feeling of disappointment, and and I guess it is vulnerability where you're like, oh, I just thought this was a fun thing, you know. I thought we were in the same boat, but you were kind of taking the piss out of me, and yeah, you know, you thought you were and level. You didn't tell me friend, and we weren't on the same level. This was a completely different thing for me and you, mm. um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think it, it should have caused me to be, like, more guarded or whatever. Mm. But I just think they do. I was those, just those, a things, those things do build up, though, and they make you yeah, yeah. less trusting of the next person or, or in well, other kinds of situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe better able to read other people as well yeah. and their motive. Yeah. Have you got a story for us, Mark? I do. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> it's a different, but a very common story. I think. Well, I think so. Yeah. 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 And it's it's very important to act and react and get that kind of called out as well. <laughs> yeah. you. I have a very different story. <laughs> it's completely different. Well, um, yeah. But it is uh, it is more recent as well. I think we we've done a lot of things from childhood, which is great, but. Yeah. Um, both of these stories are more recent. Um, mm -hmm. My story is from four or five years ago and I had just moved to London and I was mm -hmm. living a very different life to what I'm living now. Um, I had a job, I had a real job, a good job, and I worked mm -hmm. a lot, long hours. It was stressful and a lot of overtime, very, very busy. Um, and I was very unhealthy. I worked late a lot and I was eating a lot of crap and I ate a lot of pastries and cakes and takeaways and drank loads of sugary coffees and I was a bit overweight and just generally unhealthy and I felt unhealthy always tired and always kind of sluggish um, and over this particular summer um, these feelings started to get worse and I was really tired all the time always kind of dizzy and just walking down the street I'd be holding on to things thinking I was going to fall over I was so dizzy and I thought I was just exhausted from working and just being kind of stressed and my heart my heart was constantly jumping around and, and hopping around inside my chest and skipping beats and beating too fast and then beating too slow and uh, you know what it's like when you get a fright and then your heart starts to jump around but it was happening when when nothing had happened i was just sitting on the couch or lying down on the bed um, and again i assumed it was just exhaustion or stress i thought maybe anxiety i thought i was maybe just going a bit mad or i thought maybe i was having too much coffee i had all these reasons as to why this was this was fine um mm. but progressively it got worse and worse and it was hard to explain um so i didn't really say much about it i just carried on until one friday evening i was at work and i was working late which was very common and on this particular evening i was the last person left in the office i was sort of catching up on a few bits a few emails before the weekend and it was about 7 p.m or so 
And I started to get this funny feeling, um, started to feel as though my heart was stopping and then starting again and then jumping and dancing and skipping around inside my chest. And I thought, I'm losing my mind. I'm stressed. I'm having these palpitations. I just need to go home and relax. And then it started to get a little bit kind of tingly, um, numb kind of feeling in my left arm. And then I thought, oh, God. I'm having a heart attack. This is it now. I'm going to die here in this stupid office. It's Friday evening, so there's nobody here. And I'm going to have to have a heart attack here and I'll be found dead on Monday morning. And that's it. It's all over. And I was very accepting. And then I said, OK, maybe I could do something about this. Maybe I don't need to be so dramatic. What will I do? There's no point ringing my boyfriend because he was miles away. He was at home. So I rang 111. Now, if you don't live in the UK, um, 111 is this, it's a health advice number that you ring when you're not sure if you need to go to hospital or, or not. And 99% of the time, um, to be safe, the advice is usually go to the doctor. <laughs> but I rang them and just, mm -hmm. just check. And a lovely lady answered and I explained what was happening. And she told me I need to go to a hospital as soon as possible and that I was in extreme danger. And she said that she was ringing the ambulance straight away. And then the Irish um, kind of passive nature in me came out and I said, oh, not at all. Don't be silly. Um, I don't want to put anyone into any bother. Um, they must be very busy. That's grand. There's no need. And I said, I'll go to the hospital myself. It's only around the corner. And so she made me promise that I would go straight away. And I did. I packed up all my bits and I turned off all the lights and I turned off the printers and things and I headed out the door. I waved at the security guard. I didn't mention that I was worried I was about to collapse and die on the floor. And it was so stupid now looking back, but off I went walking to the hospital, which meant walking up Tottenham Court Road. And if you don't know London, <laughs> Tottenham Court Road is one of the most stressful, one of the most frustrating streets in the world. It's busy and noisy and packed and people are even ruder than other streets and people seem to intentionally walk into you. It's a really annoying street. And it was Friday evening, so everyone was pounding along trying to get home. And there's me waddling along half unconscious until finally I got up to University College Hospital near Warren Street and I went in the door of the A&E and very sheepishly went up to the counter and I waited in line and I said, hello, sorry to bother you. Um, I think I'm having a heart attack. I wonder, is there anyone there that could help me? <laughs> and they, so stupid. And then they whisked me off and I was put into a wheelchair and spent the next few hours having tests and probes and scans to figure out what was wrong. And I lived, obviously, thank God. And in the next few weeks, I was in and out of hospital, different scans and ultrasounds and monitors. And um, one of those test periods included um, a little stay overnight in Homerton Hospital. And one day during my retreat in Homerton Hospital, um, I was in my ward, sitting up in bed, just finishing off my jelly and my custard. And in walks Judy, Julie, my God, I got her name wrong, Julie. Now, I don't know if Julie was, um, she was a nurse or she was a doctor or if she was someone from the, the British Heart Foundation. I actually don't know who she was, but she was the kindest, she was the happiest person that you could ever see on earth. She had a huge smile. Her mouth, her mouth was just so big. It was the full width of her head. And she was just beaming, massive eyes, big, kind, smiling eyes. And she was the perfect person for the job that, that she was doing. Mm. And in she came and she pulled a chair over beside the bed and she said, hi, Mark. 
I'm Julie. How are you? And I started telling her all about my jelly and custard. And then <laughs> she started talking about tests and results. And I completely blanked. I zoned out. I didn't hear a word that she was saying because while she was talking, my eyes kind of panned down towards her hands and she was holding a leaflet, a little pamphlet. And the title of the leaflet was Your New Life Living with a Pacemaker. And for the next 10 minutes, I drifted in and out of concentration as all sorts of horrific things started going through my mind. And I zoned in again just in time to hear Julie tell about all the wonderful things that I could still do with my new pacemaker. And she was flicking through the, the pamphlet and she was showing me all the photos, um, mostly of grey haired men in their 60s, because that's usually the type of person who gets a pacemaker. And she showed me photos of these men hugging their grandchildren and smiling and eating lunch with their wives. And she reassured me that I could still be romantic. She gave me a little wink. And then the list of things that I should avoid um, for a while, again, mostly aimed at the kind of 60 year old grey haired man. Um, so go easy on the golf, go easy on the tennis. <laughs> take it easy on the heavy lifting in the garden. And then she was gone. And I was left there on the bed with this little leaflet and so much confusion. And the next day I was brought to St. Bart's Hospital, which is very swish, very impressive, um, huge hospital. And before I knew it, I was on the operating table having this pacemaker fitted. And the reason they had discovered was that my, my heart was a bit shit and it I was suffering from something called heart block, which means that um, the heart is beating too slow and it's kind of out of pace. And it was stopping for like six or seven seconds at a time when I was asleep. So it needed to be fixed. And the pacemaker, my little, my little robot, uh, so it sits now under my chest muscle on the left-hand side, um, a little box with two lines coming out of it, two cables, and they run into the, the center of my heart and they monitor the... Um, the beats and they check that everything's okay. And if my heart does start to kind of misbehave, um, the little robot will give it a shock and get it back into rhythm. So I'm very lucky and I have to go into hospital a few times a year to get checked, check my batteries, make sure everything's all charged up. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm perfectly, perfectly fine. But the funny part of this story and why it's interesting about like restarting is many years before this happened, when I was about 21, long before I knew there was anything wrong. Um, I was living in Dublin and I got a tattoo. And this was a particular time of change and a time of restarting. I was after coming through a few um, troublesome things. And this tattoo was a way of kind of marking a new chapter. And it was something very abstract, a uh, little thing. I designed myself um, a little black shape, um, which had many, many meanings. And I never really told anyone about what it actually means. Um, but the tattoo, it sits on my, on my chest on the right hand side. And the shape of this tattoo is a box with two lines coming out of it. <laughs> and it sits exactly opposite the position of where the pacemaker now is on the left. And that was many, many years before I even knew what a pacemaker was. So I'll post a photo of the tattoo on my Instagram oh. so people can see. But it's interesting, that tattoo, many, many years ago, it represented one restarting in my life. And then many years later, accidentally, um, came to symbolize another. So the lessons are... 
I guess one, if you if you feel unwell or if you're healthy, go and get it checked. <laughs> and two, mm. if you have um, if you have an urge, if you have a feeling about something, whether it's to get a tattoo, um, or make a painting, or make a sculpture, or write something down, do it because it might come to mean something else mm. long, long in the future. Mm. That's my story. Wow. <laughs> Trying to clap here. <laughs> I have a few no, questions now. A few follow up questions. Did yeah. you really, when you were at work, did you really feel like you're going to die? Like, or did you feel oh like your priority like, was to. I. You know, not making a fuss? Like, what? With, how was that? Getting, yeah, yeah, without getting too too deep. Like, yeah, I, I for a minute, and all during that time, I thought this could go wrong. And, like, genuinely. Yeah, yeah. It could have it could have gone wrong. I could have um there's something called sudden adult death syndrome, which is yeah, where yeah, yeah. young men just kind of and die and they don't fully understand what would have would have happened for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Pretty much that's cry. that's kind of where it would have led to eventually yeah, if it wasn't yeah. seen to. Um but it's strange how you can be very accepting. <laughs> so you're like, oh there's nothing I can do if this happens, it happens. Yeah, yeah. There's that much awareness, like, or conversations around that, though. Is there, like, you know, the way you said there, like, that you felt like, oh, my heart was beating yeah. weirdly, but that, you know, surely there people should be told that if that happens, that's a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true, and especially young men, because a lot, a yeah, lot yeah. of um, young men would be slow to uh, just to be bothering with the doctor and stuff, um, yeah, yeah, and especially yeah. a lot. A lot of guys who play sport and stuff, their hearts are jumping around and um, they might, might catch it. So it's, it is, it is yeah, yeah. genuinely um, very important to sort things out. And now you can go to the extreme mm. and go to the doctor every day for different things. But um, yeah. I, I think it's and important. If you don't mind me asking, how did your mum and dad react to that? Oh, it was awful. They were on, they were in Ireland. They were on a bloody, um, senior citizens uh, holiday in Cork or somewhere. So they're on this bus tour with loads of people that they didn't know and they were trying yeah. to figure out what do they do? Do they fly over to London? But there's no point flying yeah. to London because I was in hospital and you can only come in yeah. for 10 minutes. So they were stressed and, and, and very troubled because it's a very strange thing for a young person to have. It's not like yeah, a pacemaker, yeah, no big deal. Millions of people have them, but it's um, mm -hmm. unusual for for someone mm -hmm. younger to have it, so yeah. they were very very worried, but then very relieved because now it's actually very much okay. Yeah. Control well, it's like a huge major thing, but then it can be fixed. It you know, it's like big risk, but then now it's okay, so that's good. It's so fixable, God. and lots and lots of things are very fixable, but they need to be caught on time. And, and have you met to... people through having a pacemaker? Do you, you so I have. <laughs> I didn't tell you to ask that question, honestly. But I have a oh, I, I, I have a little hashtag um for pacemaker puffs. <laughs> oh I honestly didn't know that. I, I know, I know. And I have this lifelong mission of of gathering uh um a little club of, of young people who have um yeah. pacemakers and making a little I mean those those two Venn diagrams are quite <laughs> it's a small, it's quite far apart, I would imagine. But I found a few I found um a guy oh, yeah. who who lives in Scotland. He's a dancer, and yeah. he's had a much more complicated story than me. And he's had a few different wow. surgeries. Um, yeah. 
and he it's kind of driven him to become even more kind of physical and, and using his body so he's a he's a great dancer yeah. um and yeah lots of different people especially through instagram lots of people from from other countries and stuff um have messaged to say you know, lots of people have really complicated mm-hmm. multiple issues so i'm very lucky i have one little issue but lots of people have yeah. many different diseases that layer on top of each other but that one particular thing is very fixable thank god wow we'd love to have oh, i'd love to do a fundraiser or something someday and have like only performers who've had heart conditions <laughs> <That'd be good. laughs> that's the only people that are allowed to come sorry you're not allowed to come heart heartbreaking Good. songs and that'd be nice <laughs> yeah that'd be nice yeah. we'll do it someday we'll do we it. should develop it into a show god that's very interesting i, I, know, I mean I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm sorry that it happened to you but god it is very i've never heard anybody like our age go through something like that before so i think it's yeah that's very we're very we're very oblivious of technology and people who work mm-hmm, to invent mm-hmm. these things and make them better and um yeah. apply the amount of doctors and technicians and people that I've met whose job is just to be experts in that one field. It's crazy. Mm. People are so impressive. Mm. Some of the work that some people do is so so impressive. But here we are. <laughs> well, listen to our podcast and uh, like and subscribe. Share, tell your friends. <laughs> We're doing important. We're doing the storyteller. <laughs> we're doing the work of um, yeah. It has an importance. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We better go. So yeah. What do we want to say? So, thanks for everybody who's got in touch to say that they like the podcast, and uh, it's really nice to hear from everybody. Mm. And we will be back. Send us your stories. Let us know if something you'd like to tell. We we can have a few guests. Maybe find us online. Yeah. Secondhand stories. We have Twitter, and then individually, you can follow us, Helen Black and Mark T. Cox. And yeah. that's it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye bye.